please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I'm curious. To what extent do you hope your church will challenge and stretch you? Or to what extent do you hope your church will comfort and nurture you? Today I want to enter into another spirited conversation that I see going on in the public arena, a conversation about church. In this information age, many of us are inundated with information, articles, commentary, perspectives, especially by way of the internet. And much of the commentary online relates to matters of faith or spirituality. So I've decided to use these public conversations, these spirited conversations, as the basis for sermons this summer. That has been the plan anyway, but last Sunday's Sermon on Forgiveness left many of you asking for more, so now I'm having a hard time deciding whether to stick with this idea of addressing a variety of conversations we hear in the public arena, or whether to follow up with more on forgiveness. So please do let me know what you think. Church is a topic that gets plenty of attention in the public conversations, in articles and blogs and conversations on Facebook. I expect that as a pastor, I see more of this than the average person might. But based on who I see posting such things on Facebook, there are plenty of ordinary churchgoers in on this conversation also, plenty of lay people or non-clergy. It is good to examine the role of churches in our society and in our lives. It is good to think carefully about what makes a church healthy or effective. It is good to think carefully about why churches exist, what church is meant to be and do. But a particular comment I read on Facebook stopped me short. It was written by a minister, someone I don't know, a colleague once removed. But as these things go, someone I do know commented on a Facebook post, and so somehow it showed up in my Facebook newsfeed. The original post was a long paragraph talking both about what is wrong with the church today and stating some hopes for what the church can be. But here's the sentence that really caught me. The writer says, We have to stop being a sanctuary for white supremacy, middle-class apathy, and comforting the comfortable. I'll say it again. We have to stop being a sanctuary for white supremacy, middle-class apathy, and comforting the comfortable. I'm going to set aside for today his insinuation that the church is a sanctuary for white supremacy. There are examples where this has been literally true, but this comment is also a product of the current climate we find ourselves in. We live in a time when events in our world are calling for white people and white institutions 
to examine the ways that we might reinforce societal racism, usually unintentionally and unknowingly. We are asked to examine these things, and rightly so. Many of us share an acute sense of urgency about the need for white people to unlearn racism and to work to change societal structures that reinforce racial inequality. So this comment from my colleague once removed comes at a time when this is the context in which church exists. But the rest of his comment, the idea that church is a sanctuary for middle-class apathy and comforting the comfortable, is part of a long-standing, frequently repeated conversation about the nature of church, about the shortcomings of churches. It reminds me of the Karl Marx statement that religion is the opiate of the masses. And actually, that statement is both misquoted and misunderstood out of context. But the way people repeat and apply that statement is a symptom of the critique of church that I'm talking about today, a critique reflected in widespread public conversation. Critics, both from within and outside the church, see churches as too often focused on themselves rather than looking outward. Critics see churches as offering spiritual support for complacency. Critics see churches as merely comforting and coddling people who are already comfortable. Critics see churches as offering spiritual reassurance for people who already err on the side of being self-satisfied. These are some of the criticisms people make of church. This is what some people see when they look at church. But that's not what I see. Here's what I see. I see people, and I see you all right now, I see people whose faith is the thing that motivates them for a life of service. I see people whose faith teaches that God has a vision for the world that includes compassion and justice. I see people whose passion for justice is rooted in their faith. I see people whose faith calls them to work toward God's vision in tangible, practical ways. I see people who feed the hungry and visit the lonely and work for justice precisely because of their faith. And I see a church that helps organize people to give themselves in service and advocate for justice. I see a church that proclaims the faith of Jesus over and over in ways that remind us of God's concern for the oppressed and those in need. And I see a church that sustains people for this work of compassion and justice and service. So to the critics who question the support and reassurance and comfort people find in the church, I say, by all means, let us be that church. Because I don't know these people who are supposedly complacent and comfortable. I do know hardworking people who give themselves in service 
who deserve to be replenished by their faith. When I reject the idea that faith primarily comforts a comfortable people, I'm not only basing my assessment on church people I have known. When we look at the history of movements for social justice, we see movements rooted in faith. When we look at many of the people who are most famous for devoting their lives to justice and service, we find people motivated by faith. The American Civil Rights Movement, Albert Schweitzer, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa. You can probably think of many other movements and people who you admire or who inspire you that you could add to that list. So one colleague once removed says that we in the church have to stop being a sanctuary for middle-class apathy and comforting the comfortable. That last phrase is a reference to a well-known phrase that I imagine many of you have heard. It's used frequently to talk about the work of the church, to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That phrase, to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, actually originated with a journalist in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Finley Peter Dunn is his name. He described the business of the newspaper as being to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. But the phrase has been picked up and used by many religious leaders and in other contexts. And religious leaders have said that the goal of religion is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Some people would say that the goal of a sermon is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. But how do we know which is which? Or to use different language, how do we know who needs to be challenged and who needs to be comforted? How do we know who needs to be provoked into action and who needs to be nurtured and sustained for a life of service? Spirited public conversations can often be polarized as well as lively. People can tend to oversimplify, putting things into tidy categories that are not as complicated as real life. The discussion is framed as if people are either comfortable or afflicted, as if churches are either out in the world working for justice and serving the community or closed up within four walls offering spiritual solace. But the truth is, that every one of us can be in a different position, in a different season in our lives, or even on a different day. We all get into comfortable ruts at times when a well-placed challenge can be helpful in our spiritual growth or our faithful living. And we all have times when we are stretched to our limits. Sometimes we are stretched to our limits by our engagement with the never-ending work of justice. Sometimes we are stretched to our limits by our service to those in need in a world that seems like a bottomless pit of need. Sometimes we are stretched to our limits simply by the overwhelming demands of life, or maybe stretched by the responsibilities of caring for family or friends, 
the stresses of health concerns. The Gospels tell us that Jesus himself had times when he was tired and needed to withdraw in order to pray or to be alone. The Gospels tell us that at times Jesus invited his hardworking disciples to a time of rest. That's what we heard in our reading today. Some of you tell me sometimes that you want to be challenged. You want to be challenged by your faith, by your church, by my sermons. You want to grow in your faith. When you are in a comfortable rut, you want to be shaken out of it and called to a higher ground. And some of you tell me sometimes that your faith is what gets you through the week. And even that you come to worship in order to receive the sustenance you need in order to keep going. That you count on this time and space to feed you and renew you. And churches do not tidally fit into one category or another any more than people do. Churches cannot be neatly categorized as either out in the community or closed up within four walls. Churches, and certainly this church, are called to be and do both. To be out in the community, serving and working for justice, and to gather in the presence of God, drawing upon the resources of our tradition to sustain ourselves for the long haul. One of the tools of our faith is the practice of self-examination. We often focus particularly on self-examination in the season of Lent. The practice of self-examination is good for us as individuals and good for us as a community, as church. When we practice self-examination as individuals, we can discern whether we are in a season of life when we need to be provoked and challenged to put our faith into practice, or whether we are in a season of life where we need to soak in the spiritual sustenance that will protect us from depletion or burnout, or whether we need an even balance of both. When we practice self-examination as a community, as a church, we can discern whether we need to challenge ourselves to get out into the world more, doing more for justice, finding more ways to serve. We can also discern whether we are stretched too thin and need to strengthen our opportunities for spiritual nurture. We can discern where the balance is between those priorities, those functions of the church. Critics, both within and outside the church, often say that church is too concerned with the enjoyment of spiritual nurture, not concerned enough with working for justice. But I say, by all means, let us be the church that comforts and sustains. Let us be a community that supports one another in the face of life's struggles. Let us embrace spiritual practices that renew and restore us where we are depleted or discouraged. 
We cannot neglect justice or service in favor of spirituality, but we desperately need a deep and sustaining spirituality in order to continue the work of justice and service. Amen.